I would say in general as well, if you look at organizations who are ruthless about their culture, company culture and their core values, and they are clear about what those are, they will typically outperform in all of the major business metrics, two to one, if not more. This is From Paint to Purpose, a podcast by FCP Services, where we believe people drive growth. Exploring topics related to company culture, leadership, and construction industry insights. Now your host. We've talked about some of the challenges, some of the ways to evaluate. I want to talk about the positives as far as why it's worth uh, evaluating in this manner. And you have an extreme amount of experience with lots of organizations, not just FCP, of implementing this style. Can you talk about some of the success stories that you've seen and the transformations that have happened? Yeah, there have been a lot of them. And, and I think the, the biggest lift uh, when organizations truly commit to this style of organization based on their values is that you have a cohesiveness. And again, it's not pointing out that people are good or bad. It, it is simply saying, this is what we believe as an organization. The entry into the remaining in our organization are based on these things. And if we're asking people to be exited from the organization, they opt out or we don't hire them to begin with, it is, it is a, around that piece. And so because of that like-mindedness, it doesn't mean everybody thinks the same way. It doesn't mean that everybody is a spitting image of each other in personality because we have a lot of different personalities here. We, we actually encourage that. We have a ton of diversity in our organization. And the greatest organizations I've been a part of that have actually embraced this all had that as well. The difference is that they are in agreement, in general anyway, on those core values. Now, again, it's not a utopian world. It doesn't mean that everybody in your organization is going to believe that uh, and be 100% committed to it. It does mean that there are certain levels of entry into different roles in the organization that have more influence that creates the stickiness of this. And so the, the, some of the best examples around why this works so well in organizations I've been a part of in the past and what we're building towards in, at FCP is because you have that cohesion, because you are making business decisions, strategic business decisions in particular, around those core values, all of it is linking towards what success really looks like. What you're defining through your core values and the decisions you make or don't make is 100% around those core values. And so what you end up finding is that in organizations, I was a, in a high tech organization that, that went this route. And when I first joined the organization, they were really, really dependent on uh, one market segment for 60, 65% of their revenue. And that's great when that one market uh, is driving a lot of, of innovation and was buying a lot of the prod products and services. But the minute that they weren't, then you have this yo-yo effect of having to scale way down because you have way too many people and there's really no other way to pull the levers and get more revenue. Well, one of the things that we were able to do as we defined our core values was to create an environment in which we could challenge in a positive way why we needed to look elsewhere, why we needed to take that 
approach of, well, yeah, it's great when this client is going well and everything that we build around our product base is based on this one market space to finding diversity in our, our client base, which meant we are able to create more products. And how did that link to our core values? Well, one of the biggest core values that was, that kept bubbling up was innovation. Well, how can you be innovative if you're really basically just redundant in both your clients and your products? And so it forced us to say, well, if we really are innovative, was that true 10 years ago when we started down this path? And is it still true today? And if the answer was yes, which it ended up being, it created this whole business strategy to get us to that point of saying we are now diverse and we are now having, we had more global operations at that point. We created more business units. We found more mergers and acquisitions that we could go and build the business in a different way. Had it not been that definition, we would have been stuck in that rut of, well, there's nothing else we can do. This is just the way our business operates. And it would have likely died at some point because you just weren't going to survive with one market space. That's an example of, of that. I would say in general as well, if you look at organizations who are ruthless about their culture, company culture and their core values, and they are clear about what those are, they will typically outperform in all of the major business metrics, two to one, if not more, anybody else in their industry. And it's because of that cohesiveness that is built through those core values. It's because even with difficult decisions to be made, they are easier to make because the decision has already been made because we've set in stone what our core values are. COVID, I think, has, has actually highlighted this in many organizations. The, the, the buzz you're hearing now, which excites me from a person who's around core values and loves to, to build cultures this way, is that companies are realizing how important their culture actually is. The great resignation that we've seen over the last two years and has been highlighted isn't about money. It's not about the job. It's about the organization and what people are valuing anymore. If you are going to be an organization that says, well, we're on the other side of this from a pandemic, we're going to bring everybody back into the office. Well, what you've seen with these big organizations that have done that recently is they were making that as a business decision. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure that there were some cultural pieces that they felt were going to be value add. Where those organizations that made that mandate to say, we're coming back in the office, they set dates for it. Most of them have curtailed that completely because what they didn't pay attention to was the change in the people in their organization. People loved the freedom that came with working remotely. They wanted, they didn't necessarily, there are many that, that say, I want to go back into an office because working from home just isn't my ideal environment, but they don't want either, or they want a both. And they want to blend that so that there's a hybrid organizations that missed on that are the ones that are suffering the most because you it was one of many things that organizationally we just missed if we were not paying attention to what was actually driving the behaviors of our employees and and so i've you know the other success is often when you have to make a difficult decision and in you can rationalize just about any decision you make i had a ceo uh that struggled to uh, had a a very senior person on their team who carried a lot of weight in the organization, had a lot of responsibility in the organization. And by not having that person a part of the organization, potentially left it open to a lot of risk. 
And yet this person, when they showed up in meetings, when they interacted with their team, was not living out any of the core values, namely honesty. They were not an honest human being and they justified everything that they did. Well, the CEO struggled with this because this was a person that created a lot of risk in the organization by leaving. They held a lot of relationships, both internally and externally. They were driving a lot of the revenue stream. And to couple that, this CEO and this person were extremely close. They were both best men in their each other's weddings. And so there was a personal relationship. Their families traveled together on vacations. And so making a decision like this was heart-wrenching for the CEO. When we finally came to terms with what had to happen and we went through all the co- proper courses, we tried to course correct, we, we put a lot of things in place, when it became obvious that this was never going to work, that was an agonizing decision. However, this CEO stepped in and made the decision that was necessary for the greater good of the business and most importantly, the greater good of the core values and cultures of the organization because he realized that if he didn't step forward and make that decision, then the whole idea of honesty as a core value was out the window because he wasn't being honest about with the organization. He was okay allowing one person to be so far outside of the norm of living out the core values that no matter how much this CEO tried to justify it, how much he offered to make excuses for or to hide it, everybody was going to see it, did see it, did feel it, And he lost all credibility with speaking about the core values. So often what you find is the organizations who are relentless around this, the decisions don't get any easier. This, you saw three grown men in in a room, uh, and I was one of them, in tears over this because it was painful. There was going to be a relationship that fractured, at least in part, for a while because of that. But it was the right thing to do, and the decision itself wasn't difficult. It was obvious executing that decision was really, really hard. I think you'll also find that organizations who do this really well will say no to more business than they say yes to. So that's a business fact that creates that that very clear purpose of why they exist and what they do really well. And sometimes people forget that, that these core values are already embedded in your business in some form or fashion. You might not highlight them. You might not talk about them. You might not even be able to identify them, but the culture is already there. It's whether you're intentional about it or not. And most business decisions are based on those value sets and they do uh, disproportionately at times, uh, rightfully or wrong, they do stem from the leaders, whether it's a smaller organization or one that's led by a founder, they are driving a lot of that. But the culture is there. It's a matter of whether you're actually driving it or allowing it to drive itself. And so the business decisions, the strategic decisions that people are going to make are built around those core values. I can bring that all the way home here to FCP. When we hit the middle of the pandemic, we lost a ton of contracts overnight, as did most companies, by the way. Business just shut off for many of us in, in, a, in a very short order. And we had to do our due diligence and, and, and as a leadership team and make some, some, some contingency plans. But the gut check we consistently made was, while this makes sense from a business perspective that we might have to scale back, we might have to do layoffs, we might have to do all these things that I know every organization out there was thinking about or planning for, we never pulled that trigger because at the end of the day, we all looked around the table and said, we can't do that. 
if we care about our people and there's any other way that we can maintain, we're going to do so. And so we exhausted every option, which meant we had people out selling that normally weren't selling. We went into different marketplaces to find uh, opportunities. We ended up having the strongest year in the, in the organization's history that fit with our core values of people driving growth people, because we wanted to take care of people. We, we absolutely were not going to lay people off unless we absolutely had to drive. We were driven to find a solution to this. We were problem solvers. We're not going to go, well, the easy answer is, and the, the, and the decision that should be made because quote unquote, it's the right business decision is to whack 15% of your workforce saves you money almost overnight. And then our growth mindset was, well, how do we grow if we're going to take some of our best people and lay them off with no real end in sight? Are we sure we're, we're, we're going to be able to replace those people? Obviously, hindsight is 2020, and that could have ended really badly for us. But the reality is we're in a much stronger position coming out of that because look at how many people are struggling to hire today. And that's in part because of, of what the decisions we made. We retained our best people. But it all, we also grew during that time too, not just uh, from a revenue and profitability standpoint, but we were able to hire when other people were laying off. So all these great people were out looking for work and we were able to beef up and we're still in that position. So those are the types of things that organizations who are, are, are living this out every day, it doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we make every decision that's right. It does mean that we are ruthless in ensuring that those decisions pass the the sight test and the smell test of do they follow our core values. And just as much, you'll see organizations where there was success around this because when they screwed up, they were the first to stand up and say they screwed up. Two really historical uh, examples of this, Johnson & Johnson, way, way back in the, probably in the 80s, they had one of their products that hit the shelves and it was laced with with something that was deadly to people. Well, they they when they found it out, they could have easily said, yeah, we got to recall all of that and that's the right thing to do. They did that, but that's just common sense. What they also did was take everything that they were doing in that with that product and shelve the whole thing. So even if there wasn't, they caught the error and they were able to make re-engineering a part of the solution. Their decision was to completely table that product until they knew with certainty that there wasn't any other pieces in that chain that were broken to allow for them to get that back out into the marketplace. Well, that cost them hundreds of millions of dollars. Most businesses would have done the bare minimum, get it off the shelves, and then we'll just reintroduce it and not take all those measures that built a credibility with this organization. It wasn't the mistake that was that happened. That was the defining moment. It was how they responded to it. That was built in their core values. On the other side of this ledger, one of the gross miss, uh, miss uh, misses as an, as an organization was Enron. Well, if you walked into Enron's corporate offices, they had their core values plastered everywhere, one of which was integrity. Well, you know, and and they would say it was on their it was on their letterhead. It was on the in their uh, in their offices everywhere. Well, were they really being uh, living with integrity? No, absolutely not. It was a giant Ponzi scheme. 
And, and yet, if you talk to people, they would have said absolutely. So it was written, it was defined to a certain degree, but it wasn't lived out. Those two, and all the way through, very few people in that organization actually owned any of it. They got put in prison. They still didn't own any of it. So it, it just shows you that you can have them written. I think that's the other piece of this. When you're defining them and you are measuring them, there are key measurables on any of the core values. And as an organization, you can do things like retention, the types of hires and the turnover that you have based on your, your hiring, your performance by business unit or all of those types of measurables. You can do the surveys and, and your customer satisfaction is a big one, right? You should be paying attention to that as well because I would argue that you're, those places where they are getting referral business, whether it's referrals of employees that want to join or referrals to their business and, they, and, and the acquisition of new clients is largely based on word of mouth. My guess is they're living out who they say they are. Now, I also say that, share this with people because I've worked with organizations who had core values that they defined that I wouldn't necessarily, if I were in that organization, would align with who I am as a, as a human as well. They weren't right or wrong. They just were. The key is, and I would say that's probably on the really negative side, the Enron, I'm sure they had the vast majority of the people that are making those decisions. They were all like-minded. It, unfortunately, it was just at the expense of everybody else and, and to the benefit of, of a small few. Um, but that is what it is. There are some hyper-competitive or. Uh, organizations and industries, there's nothing wrong with that. If they are driven towards making profitability at most cost, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as there's alignment with the people that are in that business. Now, ethics play a huge role in this. That's why Enron was such a colossal failure because it was an ethic issue. It has nothing to do with whether they should or shouldn't make profit. For-profit companies should be making profit. It's how they give back to their communities either directly or indirectly, how we keep the engine of economy running. It's how you go about doing that that makes all the difference in the world. And so that's where you can see these successes happening and where the colossal failures come in. It, again, it's not, we always tell our folks here, it's not the mistakes you make, it's how you deal with them. Because at the end of the day, one of our core tenets of our, of our growth core value is that we learn from failure. It doesn't mean we're looking for people to fail, but we don't believe that growth happens if you're staying in your comfort zone. And so that means that you're going to push yourself and your team and your organization to the brink of comfort, which means you're, there's a good chance that you're going to miss something. You're going to fail. That's okay. What did we learn from it? And let's not make the same mistake twice. And what can others learn from that mistake so that we don't make it again? But it's the only way we push through gro to growth is through that failure there's a lot of organizations out there that don't want to hear anything about failure. That's why they stay the way they always are. And again, not right or wrong, but my guess is that's where you see many of these organizations who have faltered. I think of the, the uh, video industry, you know, way back in the day when everybody had VCRs and, and, and the whole idea of going to a place and renting movies was just, wow, that's just the coolest thing in the world. Now I'm talking to an audience that probably has never even seen a VCR, let alone a VHS tape. But the, the reality is that industry was disrupted by places like Netflix. And a blockbuster was one of their biggest competitors. Well, my guess is if you looked at both of those organizations, Netflix had a clear purpose 
behind what they did. They had a clear understanding of their core values and their uh, and what those behaviors look like around their core values. My guess is Blockbuster had something similar in the sense that they had them. The polar opposite was one was living those out every day and the other one was a dinosaur that was dying a, a slow death and didn't see it coming. Again, those are two very distinct differences. There is no more Blockbuster. They don't exist anymore. Netflix continues to evolve and iterate. They went from, hey, we can deliver these same things to your home, to which was cool at the time. And now you're going, what the heck are we even talking about? Now they do streaming, right? And they were the advent into that. Look at every other broadcasting company that's out there. They're all doing it now. They've been the front runner in a lot of these things. Good, bad, like them, don't like them. That's a core tenet of who they are as an organization. They're a disruptor. As we talk about culture and how culture is the flower that comes from the seed of the core values, if that's an apt analogy, I'm not sure. But um, when you think about the evolution of culture as a leader of a company, do you have a picture in your mind of what you would like the culture to look like and you work towards that? Or do you focus on living out core values, and then the culture organically becomes what it is? I think it's probably a little bit of both. I, you have to be intentional about it. Uh, so I think your analogy actually plays out well here. If you just drop a bunch of seeds into the, into soil that's not good soil and you don't actually water it and cultivate it, it's going to die. And so so will an organization's culture, at least if it's around what you intentionally say you want it to be, and then you don't actually water it, you don't garden it, you don't weed it, you don't prune it. It's just going to become a bunch of weeds, and and now it doesn't actually do anything for the business other than choke it. And so I, I think you have to have, so the strategy of the business always has to be adapting. What we always say is that our core values, which is built around those core tenants, and in reality, the business itself is going to remain. And so will the, will the culture organically change and adapt? Possibly. But I don't believe that that's actually uh, what you want your, your culture to do. You want it to continue to become more robust. The greatest organizations that I've seen that are led by their values the culture actually leads the way. It's not an individual leader. It's not built around a founder or a charismatic leader. It is built around this organization believes these things so deeply that everybody polices it and we guard against it at all costs. So if I think about the company culture and where as a leadership team, we want it to go, our two owners and myself, we are seeing it as something that is going to be very clear and one of the things that we want is that candid environment where people are willing to say what's necessary and hold true to what we believe. They're willing to, to go at great risk to themselves sometimes and say, this isn't right. This isn't the way we should be living this out. And I'm willing to speak up to me as a leader, to our owners, to anybody else in the organization. Now, are we there yet? No. And I don't know that we will ever get to 100% of that. But our hope is that we can get to 90, 95% of that is, is real every single day. So we are striving towards that. The strategy around our business 
is going to have to adapt and change. We can't stay the same. We're not the same as we were five years ago. We're not the, we're certainly not the same as we were 10 or 15 years ago. And that's part and parcel to our, our culture. It's also why you see people leave organizations, not because they didn't fit the organization at the time, or even that they, that they are somehow completely different than the core values at a, at a substantial level. But as the organization develops and grows, as you are shifting strategies, sometimes people get outgrown in the organization. And so it is those decisions that are often the hardest because you're trying to value what they brought when when they were here, when the organization was centered around certain things, that because the strategy has changed, that is no longer what it's about anymore. And so even though that person is a great person, they have added a tremendous amount of value to the organization historically, they're not that person for the organization any longer. Maybe there's just no place for them or they simply have changed in their mindset. And so it's no longer the, aha, that's what I really firmly am aligned with anymore. Those are really difficult and they are not fun to deal with, but they are what is expected in an organization that says, this is who we are. As we wrap up here, um, final question, I'd like just to get your final thoughts as far as evaluating by values, company strategy, employees within the company. What uh, what parting words do you have for people listening, for potential leaders, for potential employees? Just um, what are your final thoughts? So anybody who actually believes that live, living out and leading and having really clear core values as part of their culture, if they think that it's really soft, it's really subjective, I would just challenge you to step back and really start examining some of the decisions that are being made and what you actually claim to be your, your core values are, because there probably are core values. Um, but really look at that, because I think that it is probably the hardest way to lead and to run an organization is through this, because it doesn't create subjectivity it doesn't create situational ethics and decisions it really hones in on and highlights oftentimes the decisions we know we should make but we don't make especially as leaders and so it, it, there's nowhere to hide like you know in an organization that's really driven by their culture and core values there is no place people can go to not be under the spotlight of that in particular and so I think it's, it's important if you are currently saying this is important to us, we want to actually lead this way, let's make sure that, the, that the, the why behind it, the how behind it aligns with the decisions that are being made. Because the biggest area that gets tripped up in most organizations that try to do this is that there is always a situation that says, well, in this situation, we can't make that decision. And so now they've just justified it because it's the easy decision to make. If you're not willing to do that, then I would say don't even bother because everybody else sees it regardless. The other thing I would say to those who are ser searching out for another role, ask a lot of questions around the company core values and the culture. What is it actually like? Ask to talk to multiple people. You should encourage being a part of an interview process that goes two to three to four interviews long. Because you should know as well as the company whether this is a good fit or not and trust your gut. Because if 
what you're hoping for isn't going to be met in that culture, you're no longer going to be happy with what that is and you're immediately going to get rubbed the wrong way and then you might be stuck for a while because you've made that decision. This is this is I think is in part why we have so much turnover right now based on the pandemic is because people finally got to the point of going yeah, this this pandemic made it real for me. I was just chasing the paycheck. I was just I couldn't leave because the money was too good. Whatever that reason was, and they've realized that's not worth it anymore. There needs to be a balance in their life. There needs to be something more important. And so I would just encourage everybody to ask a lot more questions around the culture, the core values, than what the job is. My assumption is that if you're actually applying for a job that you know you can do that job and that if a company is reaching out to you, they believe you can do the job, find that center part of do we actually fit? Do you believe what we believe? Do you value what we value? And if you do, then I think a lot of really good things can happen. If you're not, then you're just taking a job and you're just taking a paycheck. And in an organization like ours, where we have people anywhere from entry level uh, trade people to senior executives, everybody in our, in, in our organization, we try to interview the same way in, in the sense that for a senior leader, obviously the interview process is going to look a little bit different and maybe more robust than, than one of our uh, entry-level trades people. But the core of that initial conversation is all about who we are. Uh, and that's an important distinction for people to make is that you don't make those subjective or uh, uh, decisions situationally. You have to follow that same lens regardless of anybody in the organization. Yes, certain people have more influence than others based on the role that they play. But you also invite that into your organization, whether it's in a small pool or in a large pool. And that can be dangerous for the organization because that's when things can start to shift subtly towards not actually leading through those values anymore. So I would just encourage people to have those conversations, ask the tough questions, both as interviewers of a candidate, but also uh, as as candidates. And then from a leadership perspective, really make sure that this is what you believe because and think about the worst possible decision you have to make. If you can stand up to that scrutiny, then be okay with it. But if you're going to justify a decision because, ooh, I don't really want to make that decision. If I have to go on this lens, then you probably don't want to go down this path because you're going to actually do more harm to your business, an Enron, for instance, than both internally but also just as much externally. Like I wouldn't want to be a part of any of that industry for a very long time after Enron happened because everybody's lumped into it. I think of all the really, really good people that worked at Enron that had nothing to do with the Ponzi scheme. I would venture to guess that many of them really had a hard time finding work again because you put that on your resume and that's immediately going to be what most organizations are going to think about is what they heard publicly. And so there was probably tens of thousands of really great human beings who had nothing to do with it that got irreparably harmed, not just from a financial perspective, but from a reputational perspective. And that's what I think is more heartbreaking than anything is that that those small few people that had an outsized influence in an organization like that, that was the devastating part for most is not only did they lose lose their livelihood on, on a place that they firmly believed in and that was doing well, it was, it was that I think that that probably devastated more 
and highlighted the fact that nobody took ownership of that. And, and so we often think about the financial harm that decisions make. It's just as much the harm we do to people uh, when we are not living out who we say we're going to be. So that would be my, my final uh, warning to any owner or leader of an organization that wants to live by their values. Make sure you've defined them. Make sure you know what that looks like. Make sure you can look in the mirror every day and say, I did my best to, li- to lead this way. And if somebody's calling me out on something that I didn't do to lead this way, am I introspective enough to go, yeah, you know what? In part, they're probably right. I don't have to agree 100%. Maybe they didn't see the whole totality of why the decision had to be made that way. That's a learning experience. It's a way for you to communicate that as a leader probably better than what you did. But the reality is you don't want to go down this path because all eyes are on you as a leader. And, and you have an outsized influence, whether you want to or not. It's why we make this a big deal in our organization. If you are going to lead teams, if you're going to lead even just one person as a people manager, you have to be in alignment with this and you don't get entry into it if you, if you're not. Uh, And if you somehow are in a leadership role before all of this got really coalesced, then we've probably asked you to step aside because you have a huge influence on your team, your department, your business unit, and the organization as a whole. Um, And that's not always fun, but it's what we sign up for. That was great. Thank you, John. Yeah. Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit fcpservices.com. Until next time, remember, people drive growth.